Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor. And I'm Mike Wade. Mike, we recently just got back from LDI, and one thing we heard from several people was how much they both liked the podcast and hated our inability to do them on a regular basis. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. We do them all the time. <laughs> They're weekly. I record them you in must. my head every day. <laughs> <laughs> We're up to episode 300. Are you got, Are you not keeping up? Yeah, of course. Yeah, how did you yeah. not get those? Huh. Jesus, are you subscribed? Must be a different link. <laughs> <laughs> Check your podcast catcher. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of people. A lot of people. You're. Uh, uh. Yeah, <laughs> but it was really nice to hear from people who said that they actually listened to it because you know we never really know like yeah. if you're just uh, talking into the void or if anyone else cares. So, and th- actually, those things are not mutually exclusive. But <laughs> here we are. I talk into the void often. Often, exactly. Most <laughs> times when I'm talking. speaking to you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that vacant look is me thinking about something else. <laughs> mm, cookies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a few topics today. Um, first off, we've done a lot of on-site work in the last month and a half ish or so and there's some yeah right so there might be some interesting things some interesting nuggets of information to pull out for the populace at large and um yeah so first of all uh one of our guys who uh brandon rada who just goes by rada um who's a very chipper young fella um has been on the road a lot, right? On the road, quite a bit. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> we introduced him to the inside of an airplane and didn't let him out for like four and a half weeks, I think. That's right. Exactly. Uh, yep. Yeah, we got we had a couple. Uh, we had some older equipment out on a couple tours. Uh, it is the holiday season, so everybody is calling us with their holiday show, uh, with their holiday show excitement. Um, right. And uh, but we had two, uh, four. Uh, four curtain calls. They're out on a tour, on two tours, and uh, new crews, new shows. You know, uh, and um, and both uh, they they were both having some trouble. Uh, one of them, one of them, a lot more trouble than the other. Uh, and so we we sent Rod out in the hopes of you know getting that <clears throat> getting that taken care of pretty quickly. And we th- we <laughs> we thought so. We got out there. We went out. Went to two places. Where'd he go? Like. Oklahoma and then Pennsylvania got back to the shop yeah. and got packed his bag back up and left the same day to go to Florida. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then like Alabama or something too. Or uh, and there was Georgia, Georgia and then, uh, yeah. And then what's next to Georgia? Um, Louisiana. No. Um, yes. Anyway, it was a big, yeah. it, he had, a, he had quite a few trips. <laughs> Quite a few trips out there, right? Um, and as you as you mentioned, it was these two each. So it was two tours of Elf. Each tour had just two curtain calls, so not a ton of automation, just a couple of axes. But and and this is not the first year that they've been doing um, the shows, uh, but it is a new crew, and uh, and so there was some you know there's some learning opportunities there to get the crew kind of uh, up to speed on how to install the equipment and and all that um yeah some of the some of the biggest issues i think were 
well, some of the bigger challenges that they came up against was getting cable tension on those tracks. They were running scenery right. with the curtain calls, and um, right. and the curtain calls are just just curtain, you know, just curtain track machines, just friction, just friction holding everything together. They're just friction loops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's no, yep, there's no dead end into a drum. It's really just like the the drive mechanism on them is a uh, is a triple groove V groove pulley. Uh, yeah. Like for V belt, and you just suck the tension in there to wedge the cables yeah. down, um, and it's like the the old school version of a zero fleet winch. Yeah. Like it's uh, it <laughs> just runs on on friction alone. Yeah, was, so if you don't have friction, yeah, if you don't have friction, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> it does not work well at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it also it also uh, makes it easy for the for the cable to jump off those pulleys, and as soon as they jump right. off those pulleys, then you're done. Yeah. Uh, hilarity ensues. Hilarity yeah. ensues. Hilarity if you're not on the tour. <clears throat> mm-hmm. On mm-hmm. the tour was not funny. Um, not funny. No. But um, but anyway, we sent we sent Rod out and ultimately came around to you know he he worked with them. He worked with uh, Bolt Tours, get everything up and running, uh, and then came home and then went back out right away. <laughs> right. Uh, and continued continued the process to try and get them to um, try and get them up and running and get a good system in place for them, uh, which ultimately, ultimately, I think he has. As far as I know, yeah, we haven't other than one. I think he had one phone call while we were at LDI, but that was it. On- right. No, I think it's they've, it's kind of all finally all stuck together. I mean, yeah. between being new and then of course the touring situation is just kind of brutal and yeah. timelines. So the, these guys are, you know, like loading a show out. Closing the doors on the truck at 2 a.m., driving for a couple of hours and starting to load in again. Right. And uh, for, that doesn't. Yeah. For a matinee. <laughs> for a matinee, right, exactly. And that, that doesn't put anyone in their best fighting condition. So um, there's some of that to get used to as well. Yeah. So, uh, but I thought it was good to point out that, well, A, that, you know, that the, that the uh, curtain calls are alive and well and touring around the country and then also that because uh, some of these actually were it's your favorite original. machine Gareth <laughs> <laughs> maybe your it's, second favorite <laughs> uh huh uh huh that's right mm-hmm. it is my favorite machine um, and uh, uh, the curtain calls have their use I mean they are uh, my biggest problem with the curtain calls is that one the friction loop thing that we I think you know it was a it was a grand idea but I think that it ultimately can be more problematic just because if you don't have that tension really cranked in that you lose accuracy, which is not so awesome, especially because a lot of what people want to do on curtain tracks these days is like run video panels, you know, which are super heavy um, and tend to skitter around if the friction is not right. Um, And the other thing is that they're kind of, you know, like they're lighter and smaller than our like push stick winches, but they're not super light and super small. And I think that the next iteration of them should be super light and super small. I think that would make them cooler. But that aside, they they do their job. They do it well. Um, They are they they are a, a great little great little machine. And the some people who love them really love them. Yeah. And I I think that's great. Well, and um, Rada, Rada, and uh, one of our one of our other shop guys, Brian, came up with a came up with a better, I think a, a at least a more uh, uh, an easier solution to getting some tension in there, other than using the the tensioning nut on top of the machine, which is uh, 
which is awesome. Um, you know, if you're running to a master carry, you dead end one, one end, run everything through the machine all the way back to the master carrier and then use a ratchet strap with a prusik on your, on your operating line and the master carrier to take as much tension, take as much slack out of the system as you can before you get to trying to adjust that on the machine. Um, which, which appears from, you know, from what they have said, everything is, it's a much, it's a much more efficient method, um, yeah. to get that all in there. Yeah. Cause it gets a lot of the slack out. And so you're taking maybe a couple of cranks on the big tensioning nut in the machine rather than having to do all of it there at the machine, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you could use a Prusik or you could use a Klein tool, like a cable grip would be a, another good option there too. Yeah. Any- but it's not anything, to, anything to grab that cable and. And yank it tight. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's good to see that those things are back out. And then also it's just good to know for anyone who's out there to know also that uh, we do have technicians standing by ready to hop on a plane and, and help your show out. If you're in a similar, uh, a similar struggle that you're trying to get, uh, trying to work out the kinks. Yeah. Get something, yeah. get something you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's really just been in the last year that we've boned up enough kind of, site staff that that's easy i mean it used to be a lot more challenging for us as a shop to let guys out of the shop for for a long time and scheduling was harder but we have more capacity for that these days which is great um cool very helpful you also did something like that too gareth (laughs) i did i did i really tried to avoid getting on planes at the last minute but um and leave that for the the younger spryer folks in the shop but the uh a couple weeks back we got a Text, re, uh, text, tech support requests that came in, and it was uh, I don't know, maybe two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon, something like that, on a, on a uh, <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, and there was another tour that was he- heading out, and they were tucking, and they just happened to be up in Worcester, which is like an hour and a half or so away. Um, so, and that was it was a production of Christmas Story, and they have the big uh, interior house set. Uh, that's on a set of friction drives, not our friction drives. Actually, I think they were, I believe the friction drives were originally built by Centerline. Centerline, yeah, uh, yep, yeah, a few years ago. Um, but then it's stagehand control and Spike Mark running it. Um, and so they rent the control and an encoder every year, a little TR3 uh, friction wheel encoder um, to bolt onto the unit. And they were having trouble that they couldn't get anywhere even close to position, you know, reasonable positioning accuracy. <laughs> and the carp sent me a picture. He's like, there's no way this can be right. And it was, <laughs> and it was like the encoder was kind of like wedged in with a bunch of literally like a bunch of gaff tape and zip ties and uh, some shim stock and crap like trying to press it into the floor no there is no way that's right this is not correct yeah you are you are correct to question this this seems terrible yeah yeah. um so i drove over to the shop and i grabbed a um the tr3s mount on a 5 8 inch uh shaft and the way that they work is they have a little leaf spring built into them so like you put the encoder on the shaft you kind of squeeze press it down into the ground and clamp it onto a 5 8 shaft and then the leaf spring keeps it uh, engaged with the floor. And these are 
a replacement for what we used to make a we used to make a similar thing um, using an HD25 encoder and then a rubber wheel and a uh, keyless bushing to grab it on the shaft. The keyless bushing um, was the best part of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that only required like another <laughs> another t- two hours of machining to make a special right. wrench to mount that thing. How do I put yeah. this wheel back on? Uh, <laughs> like, oh, do you, did you see a little piece of shaft about three inches long with like a hex knot machined on one end and like some forks on the other? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that rolling around on the floor a few days ago. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're gonna want to find that. Find that's <laughs> yeah, that's otherwise really? you're going nowhere fast. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes. So we don't do that anymore because uh, Encoder Products now has a great EPC has a great uh, manufactured device called the TR3, and it comes with either one or two rubber wheels mounted to an encoder with a built-in spring tensioning mechanism, and they're great, and they're both cheaper and better than the things we used to make ourselves. So. We just buy those and use them now. Um, but you do need a 5 8 inch shaft uh, to mount it to. So we have, for some of our, uh, I guess it's just on the revolver is the only stock product we use it. We have a 5 8 inch shaft with a uh, with a flange mount that we buy from Masumi. Um, and we just pin the shaft into the flange mount. Um, and so we have those on the shelf. So I drove over to the sh- shop and grabbed one of those. I was a little curious because, again, this is a tour that's been out this is its third or fourth year, maybe even that it's been out. I'm like, yeah. what the hell did they attach it to before? We had never actually seen yeah. the machinery before. Cause the first year center line did all the integration. And then after that, the tour just rented the equipment and somehow worked it out. And, um, uh, yeah. And last year, last year they, the, their gearbox blew up. Oh yeah. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. They had problems with the gearbox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so so I drove up there. I had this thing in my bag just as a, I don't know. I'm sure I'll get there and I'll find some 5.8 shaft somewhere on this uh, house unit. And I won't need it, but uh, I'll bring it with me anyway. I get up there and, like, there is nothing. <laughs> like, I'm like, I cannot see anywhere <laughs> that this thing got mounted in the past. Like, it is a mystery as to how that how they'd ever mounted that encoder successfully. But they had what looked like a homemade or shouldn't say homemade, but like a shop made um, caster fork on the bottom of the wagon, but it only had like a half inch hole through it It, for a five eighths inch shaft, which is what you need for the TR three. And so I don't know. It didn't make any sense, but we, we used that, the vertical fork on that caster mount um, to mount a, the five eighths inch shaft uh, sticking off the side and then we could mount the TR three to it. And then lo and behold, things works a lot better yeah. once we actually <laughs> had some place to put the encoder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then, and then you help them get some tuning done and some position scaling. And, yeah. And then, um, you know, put a yeah, that's position a, error on. <laughs> yes. All of these. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good points. Yeah. So like the tuning, um, like I'm not usually a fan of derivative gain because I, so rarely really comes into play, but this was a great example of where derivative gain was really helpful that there was so much whip in the unit, like that it was so non-responsive in terms of how much the, how much the motor and everything would start moving. And then there was a lot of inertia. So it would kind of lurch forward and then it would start to oscillate. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so derivative gain really helps with that because uh, it detects the rate of change of position error and applies a force, a counteractive force to that as like a dampener. And that that was super helpful <laughs> on this wagon. And then position scaling. The position scaling was a negative number, which was weird. That's like not ever really supposed to happen. And it was also very. Oh no no no! no. I'm sorry. It wasn't no. It wasn't negative. It was fractional. It was like. <laughs> oh. Point one or something like that. Point one encoder counts per inch. Oh, yes. yeah, that's right. I re- I answered a phone call about this before you got a that Sunday call. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> or like, and uh, <laughs> I'm not still not sure what happened there. I mean, we went through the position scaling again on site. Like he had been through some training in the shop, but then we went through it again in, on site and seemed to make more sense this time with the with the wagon sitting there. I mean. Uh, I yeah. kind of breezed over that, but the the crew had been in for some in shop training, but they like us had also never seen the unit right. <laughs> at that yeah. point. So it's a little hard for everyone to talk about what they're really going to have. I mean, we know roughly that they have a friction drive and <laughs> and it's a house, but um, right. And we gave them the training. <clears throat> I was in the shop that day too, and we just had all of our all their gear piled on the table and and a <clears> revolver <throat> and it's you know on its pallet to show them how to, you know, how to do things and how to make it move and how to jog things, right cues. But we weren't, there wasn't anything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so we did the position scaling. And then as you said, like, uh, also a board on position error had not been turned on, yeah. which just, it, it breaks me into a cold sweat, right? Because this is this giant, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Running up and down stage. And, like, the next thing, if it were to have, like, a runaway, right? Like, they had an encoder there that was not properly tensioned into the floor, so they would not be getting good feedback. Yeah. Like, ripe situation for a runaway. Mm-hmm. And if that ran away in the forward direction, it would, like, launch itself into the audience, yeah. you know? Like, there's no other. Uh, I mean, hopefully the operator would e-stop it before then, but there's like no other safety system yeah. built into this. Um, there's not even like a catch lip on the front of the stage, which is, you know, like all these things uh, you one would hope, right? Like you, there's a lot of different ways to handle that on a situation. Like, you know, having a bumper at the front, having a, like a, a limit bar that like kicks out, when it when the floor basically disappears from underneath the unit so that you could stop it that way yeah, yeah. and then obviously using a board on position error uh you know having they had a trailing umbilical for electrical you could have had a trailing like uh ripcord basically you know like something to stop it yeah. a tether um as well um i don't know there's so many <laughs> so many ways to prevent tragedy yeah. uh but at the very least you know turn on a board on position error yeah and have a spotter a yeah yeah, it's better now. <laughs> it's better now. Yeah. It's better now. And other than so, one other phone call, it seems like everything has been rolling forward on that show, too. So Yes. Yeah. Um, forward and backward. Yeah, forward yeah. and backward, yeah. And not too far. Yeah. And not too far. <laughs> yeah. Just the right amount. Just the right amount. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then, you know, our next crazy on-site thing, a few months ago, I got a call from one of our customers on the West Coast who said... Hey, you know, I want to, I want to run a JLG scissor lift up and down with spike mark control. <laughs> Will it work? Right. Just to make in, so you can cue the installation. Work, right. <clears throat> so you can like, yeah, it was for some, right, you know, art installation or, you know, something like that. And they, you know, and they were like, yeah, we just want to, you know, be able to cue it. And 
do this thing and right. not have an operator. Will it work? Well, I mean, no. sure. You've got a pump mm-hmm. and a proportional valve and, you know, right. I, the only way we're going to find out is if you hook it up. Um, exactly. And so this first unit, <laughs> this first unit that they were messing around with, apparently the, uh, the, the way it went down is they were talking about a scissor lift. And, and this is a company who's got all manner of really high quality scissor lifts in there. And uh, whoever the, the artistic staff was, was walking through their shop and saw their JLG lift sitting there. And they were like, that's the thing I want. Right. <laughs> like, really? Yep. This one covered in hydraulic oil and plaster and <clears throat> great. Um, and so they started, we started with the whole thing. We've spent, we spent several hours on the phone trying to get, you know, encoder placement because they had to put a lin- you know, linear encoder on the thing. Uh, and we started with one, you know, with one placement of that, which wasn't great. Uh, yeah, which was the <laughs> attachment basically to the platform. To the right? platform. And that's not basically. Just yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is not. Not awesome because there's so much, yeah, for any, so much elasticity between the platform and what the cylinder is doing. Right, and this was like a 24 foot JLG lift, so it's a multi stage scissor, and you know you can anybody who's been in a multi stage scissor, you can get up to the top of that thing and jump on it and drop it down a couple inches as everything yep. compresses. Um, and so then, uh, then through a whole bunch of other you know paths, we finally got it, finally got it mounted to the cylinder, and you know. Uh, the body mounted to the body of the cylinder and the head of the cylinder. And so they were having some good, we had good positioning. There was no other shenanigans in there, Uh, but they spent, they spent like two days, two and a half days trying to tune out some of the bad movement on it. We finally got around to, you know, could one of you guys come out? (laughs) And since it wasn't the day before they wanted somebody out there, Gareth got on a plane. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And, um, and you did you you also had a little bit of like headbanging frustration the first the first day out there. Yeah, definitely. So I was there for I was slated to be in their shop for two days, and the first day, you know, I mean, some of it's like you got to walk in and kind of take the temperature in the room of you know how where are we kind of production wise and how soon do these things have to work correctly and how how much better do they need to be, and um, they were working. I mean, to be fair to their technicians, like they had tuned the heck out of them, like in terms of uh, getting a fairly reasonable response out of the system, but it was still kind of jittery. Um, one of the, there were a few challenges. Uh, one was that they were moving very, very slowly. Uh, some of them, like there's five lifts in four different rates that they wanted them to move. The, the um, concept was that the Motion was supposed to be analogous to the mechanism in a lunar clock. And so you can imagine, like, say, one thing is cycling in, say, 15 minutes, and another thing is going to cycle in three minutes, and another thing is going to cycle in 90 seconds or something along those lines. Um, Up and down, up and down, up and down. And the... uh, Those super slow moves were, were really tough, and it even worse was probably the second slowest move um, was very jittery. Uh, it had a lot of oscillation to the move, <clears throat> but the, um, they were going to be shipping in less than a week. Uh, so we were kind of at, you know, we were near the end of the line, but there were still certainly days left to, to work it out. 
and it, the lifts were all making fairly horrendous noises, like mechanical noises, <laughs> like pang, tang, 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 pong, tong, pang, tang. You know, because JLG li- like personnel lifts just are not uh, super precise mechanisms. You know, <laughs> right? The um, line and the crack of the yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the disturbing like loud pops <laughs> out of the joints and stuff. That's cool. Um, That's cool. Just get in there. Yeah, you'll be fine. Um, so my first day, I just spent the, the day. I got there at like, I don't know, noon, because I was taking a morning flight out of Boston. I got there at about noon, so we had about five hours. And I just basically started from zero with the tuning and tried to tune it the best I could and got it probably as good, maybe a little bit better than they had it, but not not a whole lot better than their techs had already had it, if, if any better, honestly. Um and uh, we got to the end of the day, and they're like, well, what do you think? You know, this might just be all that we get, right? And you're like, well, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but that's going to, at some point, that's going to make somebody mad. I mean, this is not, it doesn't look awesome. <laughs> this isn't and, fantastic. Um, <laughs> isn't fantastic. And it's, you know, I, I know everyone was trying to, I mean, one of the, their challenges, the shop's challenge, was to try to keep everything as cheap as possible, you know, because the, the artist didn't have endless funds for these things. Um, but you're like, even so it's still a lot of money, you know, for, in terms of real dollars, um, it was still, you know, you could build buy several nice luxury sedans for it, for the amount of money that this rental was going to cost. And, uh, and somebody's going to have something to say about that. So it's like, we should really, we got to try to get this better than this, but I'm not, I feel like we've, we've tapped out on tuning. Like this is it for tuning. There's not, there's no money, no more knobs to to twiddle um so what i the other thing that struck me looking at it was that the valves were they were valves that they had in stock uh for their big ass scissor lifts uh, high capacity scissor lifts um and they were really large in their flow rates um and we were not cracking them above about 12 percent of maximum at the fastest 12 13 percent and so you're like, we're trying to shuttle this little spool inside there over just <clears throat> 12% of the range. And additionally, you know, the way the stagehand card works, <clears throat> it's a uh, it's an 8-bit speed signal that comes out of there that has to describe both full speed forward, full speed reverse, and anything in between. So you get basically 127 steps of speed and forward, 127 steps of speed and reverse, uh, 128 steps of speed and reverse, whatever, but the roughly the, so like we're basically taking, if we're only working the lower 12, actually we could just do this math right here. This is, this is fascinating podcasting right here. I'm going to do calculator. We were just talking about a calculator earlier. (laughs) That's right. So, you know, 12% of 127, we're only getting 15 discrete speed steps. If we're only going, you know, if we're only using that much range of the valve, that means that the, the motion controller only has 15 different speeds it can go. And so every little yeah. jump is a pretty big jump, <laughs> you know? And what we'd like to do is use that whole 127 inch, to whole 127 steps of speed range in the 15% of valve movement that we actually need. So we get much finer control, higher resolution of the flow rate coming out of that valve. So I went back to the hotel. I read through the documentation they had on the valves. Um, and they were pretty nice, pretty nice valves. They're ATOS valves made in Italy. Um, 
onboard electronics, um, but pretty old school in the sense that everything was still pot driven for the tuning, which actually for me and my lizard brain is pretty nice because it's very easy. It's much easier to comprehend, like turn this knob, make this thing happen. So they had a forward scale, a reverse scale, a forward bias and a reverse bias. Um, And they had two pins coming off the valve body that you could use to meter to tell you where the valve spool was on a zero to 10 volt signal. Um, So, and that's important just because I wanted to see how much are we really moving the valve? And then once we figure out how we want to calibrate these valves, how can we replicate it across all of the different valves, all of the valves that are being used so that we have, yeah, so they're all the same. And then also, if we screw this up, how do we get Story back? To at least right? like, how do we? How do we... <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, as I mean, it, you oh, know, if you think it can't be crappier than it is now, <laughs> challenge accepted. I can totally do that. Exactly, exactly. Hold my beer. I got this. I can make it way worse. Um, so it'd be nice to be able to undo whatever we did and return it to the current state. Like, you know, kind of like the Hippocratic <laughs> Oath, right? Like, first, do no harm, right? So uh, so the next morning, it was very productive. Like, the next morning, had a plan. We walked in and I said, okay, well, so let's try to tune it so that at 100% command signal. So these are uh, backing up one step. So the valves with the onboard electronics, so the valve amplifiers sitting on the valve. And they're being fed a command signal from the stagehand minis, mini squares. Um, <clears throat> so I said, let's, at 100% command signal, let's turn the pumps off, crank it up to 100% command signal, meter where the, the valve is, and then let's tweak the scale down until at 100% command signal, we're only um, 12% open. So like 1.2 volts um, on the monitor circuit on the valve <laughs> and like it was night and day like as soon as we did that just like first of all all the tuning we'd done yesterday we just threw out because <laughs> like that was all you know crap and then the the system performed so much better um so that was step number one step number two was that the um offset was set how to say this accurately so the offset was set a uh, too high so basically and the offset refers to like your first speed signal your first speed step how far open do you want that valve to be and so it was set to like um four percent open or something like that so the first (laughs) click was first step was four percent open and that meant that on the slow moves we were dipping below that threshold and that was just going to shut it off. Yeah. So we just had like a binary valve position coming down where it would just like slam open, slam close, slam open, slam close. And that was kind of causing the jitter. Mm-hmm. It was just like, duck, 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 duck. and you could feel it in the hoses. Like as you felt the hose, it was pulsing as the oil was coming out of it. Um, so we lowered that offset a lot. Um, and that allowed it to come down smoothly too. 
And then the tuning was very straightforward. Then the tuning was like six points of proportional gain. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Which is always a really good reminder. Like, if you are fighting with tuning for hours, there is something else that needs to be done. Well, so you called me that night you got there. Yeah. After you left the shop and you were defeated. You were like, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, we can't get anywhere with this. This is nothing (laughs) about this is good. I'm not really excited about this. And then the next afternoon, I mean, I think it was like one o'clock out on the West Coast when you called. And you were like, hey, so uh, I just want to tell you. Yeah. You sound like you're in a better mood. (laughs) 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 Yep, I definitely am. Yep. Uh, It was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is also a good, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of people out there that know what they're doing with this stuff but then for anyone who's you know feels slightly skittish like just it's good to remember that we all have those crappy days where you're like yep this isn't working i don't know i might just throw it in the dumpster like i'm gonna light up i'm lighting a road flare and i'm getting in my car like i I this can of gasoline this is done and that book of matches thanks yeah (laughs) perfect yeah yeah i don't need the whole book just one will do yeah yeah but it's also kind of an interesting path right like you know in the the world of hydraulic valves like there's so much in there to there are so many steps in there to try and address and try and address challenges that you know depending on the valve it, you know it's like the yeah. road is <laughs> the road has many paths <laughs> yeah totally and then the other thing that i thought was interesting coming out of that was that i've always been <clears throat> both encouraged by hydraulic vendors and then pass that encouragement along to people that think the the valve sizing is critical. And I'm not going to try to say that the valve sizing is not critical, but this was quite an experiment to realize that like (laughs) we had a way inappropriately sized valve. I mean, we were using 12% of its capacity to control the lift and it, we were able to get very reasonable performance out of it um, just by, you know, tuning the amplifier stage on that. Um, so it also builds a little bit of confidence on that side of like, well, I mean, <clears throat> it is possible to use a yeah. oversized valve and an undersized effect. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, again, like I'm not saying that people should go do that. I'm sure there's all sorts of, you know, hydraulic people. You'll find every that one of them. All the reasons why that's a bad idea. Podcast. But like from a pragmatic <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Please email Mike. I have a special um, email address for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but from a pragmatic standpoint, which is where so often we find ourselves, right, in doing entertainment automation, like from a pragmatic standpoint, we were able to get a good effect um, using the wrong valve, yeah. really, you know, for what we were doing. <laughs> so, anyway. So, all that aside, you bit. also have been. Out on the there, road, yeah. As I went well. to, you uh, did some training, uh, Ball right? State University, and uh, was out there for a Saturday training session with those with those folks. Um, a couple of weeks back, it was a uh, it was a good trip. It was uh, it was an interesting and exciting session. I think they had a revolver that they were using uh, that they were using in their show uh, that they had that was currently playing. Um, so we had the opportunity to do a little bit of goofing around with the real machine and a real you know, a real device. Um, and there was a, there was some concern, uh, both, you know, from like raised eyebrows and then whispers in the corner from the stage management team on that show as to why we were, (laughs) why we were doing things with their turntable. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, it's okay. It will, be, <laughs> it will be working. Yeah, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? Well, my flight doesn't right. leave until tomorrow, so I feel like we can <clears throat> we can probably solve it if something goes bad. Right. Um, and funny, actually, the day right. that I left, exactly. I was talking with their TD out there, and um, and he said, hey, you know, this thing's making a little bit of a weird noise. <laughs> the revolver, <laughs> like, half listened to the video that he sent with, the, you know, with some audio. I was like, I don't know. That sounds like sounds like something in the powertrain but whatever and sent it off to steve as i was trying to get to the airport in the office i sent it off to steve i was like hey you listen to this i think there's something in the powertrain and he was like i think that's the chain oh that is totally the chain uh rubbing up against something you know it was like whatever Mm -hmm. it sounded like the master link or something like that so i was like yeah i wrote back to alan up there it's like hey i think it's the chain like something's going on with the chain you know, give me a call if you need to. I heard nothing, <clears throat> which was, you know, maybe it was nothing. Maybe they got through. Uh, only on Saturday morning when I got there did I find out that the, <laughs> that the clip ring on the bottom of the drive shaft <laughs> had popped off and had let loose. And then apparently our drive sprocket on the on the drive shaft uh, wasn't uh, had worked itself free or its set screw had worked itself free. So the drive shaft with the drive wheel just sort of crept itself up higher and higher until the, <laughs> until the gear, mm. until the sprocket on the bottom just popped off, popped off. Yeah. Uh, and apparently this all happened Friday afternoon, a whole lot of trauma. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, no phone call to us. Um, they were too busy trying to get it fixed. Huh. <laughs> uh, maybe they just, uh, yeah, he'll yeah. Be here soon anyway. Um, <laughs> like, well, he'll be here soon. Anyway. And uh, but yeah. fortunately, fortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, they managed to pick the machine up um, and find the clip ring that had just just spun itself off mm. the bottom of the shaft, or you know, popped itself off. And then um, all the rest of the pieces were there, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they put everything back together. Um, we're still a little That's bit good. of a there's still a little cho- chain noise um, that we couldn't get out of it but it was it was working fine and by the time we put the cover there was a box on top of it and all this other stuff like yeah you know, sound was gone so yeah um but anyway it was a good session and um and actually out of all of it the the most surprising piece to it is i <clears throat> i had started our training session with some path about safety and you know safety starts with me <clears throat> um and risk analysis and risk reduction yeah and this was the first time that people didn't fall asleep in the first 15 minutes of my <clears throat> my seminar talking about risk reduction and risk <laughs> and, and risk analysis and risk reduction. yeah they asked questions they well, that's like, good yeah it was like you guys are actually wow wait a minute <laughs> Are you guys paying attention? Wow. Yeah. Are you guys are paying attention? Oh my goodness, this changes everything. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go back and reread my slides. Hold on a second. Yeah, a second. Asking me questions about slides three, you know, three slides ago. I was like, hmm, hold on. Click, click, click. There we go. <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good yeah. session, I think. And um Nice. That is good. <clears throat> so that was cool. Uh yeah. Cool. And we also we also had quite a bit while you and I were traveling back from LDI on Monday, uh, poor Steve <clears throat> took a, took a couple hours worth of tech support calls from, um, <laughs> again, friends in Indiana, uh, yeah. on trying to troubleshoot a problem they were having with their lift with an elevator. 
um, hydraulic elevator. Right. And the the basic of the problem, right, was that sometimes the queue wouldn't like the upwards queue wouldn't run, and then sometimes it would stop. Yeah. And and just to add more shenanigans into this, it worked fine for like four and a half weeks from when they had started. You know, they set it up and they they were doing yeah. you know running rehearsals and whatnot, and they finally got into um, into some previews, I guess, or maybe they were in tech and then previews, uh, and then they started having problems, and they did nothing to it. Like no software updates between between the time they loaded yeah. in to current, um, and and it's a remount of a show that they've been running for it years. Is, it so. is Christmas season, so everybody is calling with tech support for how to get um, for their yeah <laughs> how to get Ebony's last year's Christmas show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, and then. Tuesday when I was back, Steve Steve was, ended up out sick, and so we so uh, so I kind of dove into the into the troubleshooting, um, and miraculously managed to avoid having to go to um, Indiana for Thanksgiving. So yeah, right. Um, it was a little bit of a bummer though because we don't really have a clear path as to what really happened. You know, um, right, right. Uh, because there was some, like, yeah, like, uh, understandably, but unfortunately, like, several things were changed at once, right? Like, the, a bunch of cables were replaced. Because the most, uh, out of the things that came, you know, that we were trying to dissect, it seemed like most likely a cabling issue. It certainly seemed likely it seemed. that it was a cable issue. But, but again, as you said, I mean, we didn't. Right. Yeah, we couldn't point our finger but not 100 percent. like ah, it's the hardware it's not the software <laughs> right because yeah because we have yes. changed software <clears throat> quite a bit between the version right. they were coming out of like both software and firmware and on the flip side <clears throat> on the flip side we haven't seen <clears throat> excuse me uh haven't seen too many of those issues well haven't seen that particular right. issue at all with the new software and so this was firmware. a yeah, I mean, so this was a lift, and they had a they had an interlock with some bumper switches in there, and some locks for the platform to you know to keep it in place uh, when it reached its when it reached its target. And those were also um, those were also integrated into the into the interlock system, so that we're breaking you know we're breaking limits, so that we disable motion if the pins are still in, and all of that. Um, and so ultimately what we came down to in the, um, in the path is that, you know, as our, our conversations kept going, so, well, it worked last year, it worked last year, it worked last year. I was like, well, f- all right, so like, let's just go back to last year then. Like, let's go back to whatever software you were running last year, right. which is probably Spike Mark 3.6.2. <clears throat> and he was like a little bit of silence. It's like, well, I don't know if I know where to get that. So, oh, well, well, you can get it from our website, right? <laughs> so all of all yeah. of this is available. We, although you know, <laughs> although we prefer the newer version, <laughs> right? But it's good for people to know that, like, yeah, we yeah. keep we still keep all of the old Spike Mark versions up there and the old firmwares. And yeah. the firmware updater is there, so you can downgrade the firmware if necessary. Uh, because one of the big tricks was going from. He would. Uh, they were going to go from three point nine point one to uh, back down to three point six point two, um, and that is a big change because that 
we right. have to get rid of persistent positioning in there, um, or we'll just never be able to get our, <laughs> we won't be able to yeah. reset zero. Um, and so, uh, so we walked through, we talked through all that. We ended up FedExing some equipment out to them um, just in case I had to get on an airplane to go out to try and troubleshoot this so that I had, you know, a kit with me. Yeah. Um, and then at like nine 30 Tuesday night, uh, they emailed and they were like, Hey, I, so we got it working. I think we're good. You know, <laughs> all right. I'm not getting on a plane yeah. tomorrow now. So, um, and, uh, and then I spoke to them again yesterday and we went through what happened and how they, what they did. And, you know, and again, it's just like, it was, you know, in the troubleshooting stance, it wasn't, it wasn't a beautiful, it wasn't a beautiful controlled environment of, you know, the workbench in the shop. It was, it was in the theater with the chaos of, you know, <clears throat> many people looking at the lift and looking at the folks trying to get it working. And, um, and so we don't know that we don't know exactly what path happened, um, you know, and what could have changed or what didn't change or what did change. (laughs) So hopefully when we're done with this though, we're going to be able to do a little digging with them into, you know, what else could potentially be going on. Right. But good Um, takeaway for people who are questioning the same thing of like how to, how to downgrade if you want to. So it's out there. It's all there. there. It's all of those, all available. Uh, yeah. Woof. It's been a busy six weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it has been. It definitely has been. Yeah. <laughs> and then as we alluded to, we just got back from LDI. <clears throat> so, yeah. And that was a, that was a good time. The, uh, I did a little presentation while we were out there and that was, uh, on the value of automation. I was on a panel with a couple of their folks, uh, I was supposed to talk about the creative value of automation, or I did talk about that. Um, and I thought, you know, I think it went pretty well all the way around. Um, slight bummer was that they, the scheduling was pretty weird. Like they scheduled the presentation slot for exactly the first hour that the expo was open. <laughs> so there was very low turnout. Um, I mean, could also just be that nobody cares about the value of automation. That's a reasonable thing too. <laughs> but <laughs> at a lighting convention, at a lighting convention, exactly. Um, but it didn't help to also be like, so you know, if you have any slight interest in this, you could either come to our session, or you know, it's the first time the show floor is yeah. open. You might want to do that instead too. So, um, so we had a very low turnout, um, which was a little bit of a bummer. But uh, otherwise. Otherwise, it was good. It was certainly fun. It was uh, <clears throat> Patrick Finn from uh, JR Clancy uh, was on the panel. And then, uh, as was Evan, uh, what's Evan's last name? From Friedman. Geffen. Evan Friedman from mm-hmm. the Geffen was there. Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, the, uh, the good folks from Schuler Shook were. Uh, we're actually chairing the panel. So originally it was supposed to be Josh Grossman and then uh, Jody Kavalik, um sat in for Josh when Josh uh, had travel plans that made him unavailable. So anyway, not much more to say about that. The only, I guess the only thing that was fun about the creative portion of it was that the um, I ended up doing it as a series of short, short video clips showing off different things, um, different aspects of automation that enhanced the creativity. Um, and like number one was that the uh, 
repeatability, and which I think, which I said is kind of like the plain vanilla yogurt way, <clears throat> uh, or plain yogurt explanation for doing automation. I mean, it's important and good for you, but it's not all that interesting. But yes, automation systems are repeatable, and then um, higher capacity is also good, and then uh, more intricate motion like choreography that you can do, and then lastly, the integration between automation systems and and other systems that can create more interesting creative effects. So, uh, and then we had a, just I don't know maybe thirty video clips to to express all the different ways that those uh, characteristics were could be seen. So that was cool. We got a lot of love. So, but, but the rest of LDI was much better. That was the uh, <clears throat> on the expo floor. <laughs> a lot of love for the Spotline Practical, right? Yeah, we brought four of them to get four of them with us. Um, yeah. And it was cool. We got, yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of people were really interested in it. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, it was, it was a very cool, it's very cool to see them all in and running and, you know, moving lights and, um, yeah. doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the, the top questions were, can I control it with my light board? <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, DMX is no. not an automation protocol. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, well, other people do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yep. sure. That's true. Yes. It's out there. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, and then there were some pretty valid questions in there about like, you know, is there, is there some way to get controls, you know, to take, to take triggers from other systems, not controlling it necessarily from the light. Right. Um, and those are, that, that's more interesting, right? Like the, to much more. Yeah. 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 To have a spike mark, be able to be, you know, with a dead man, obviously in circuit to, to authorize the move, but the, uh, to have a lighting board, be able to send you like a, a DMX trigger, yeah. uh, would be nice. Yeah. And it was something, I mean, we've like pat, tossed that idea around for a couple months now, but we haven't really gotten anywhere with it other than, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was kind of, it was a cool, I think it was very, <clears throat> it was very cool to see it out there. Um, you know, we got some, we got some good, uh, we got some good cheerleading from, from some folks out there about, you know, having encoder feedback and dual brakes and slack line detection and, you know, meeting, meeting the hoisting standards, the one right. standards. So, right. um, you know, that was also, it was also pretty. It was also it was also felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> so. And then this was the first LDI that we brought the CM uh, hoist out because last year we had the Chainmaster, but this year we had the the CM hoist, and there was a good response to that too. There was a lot of good response to that. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's pretty awesome. A variable speed half ton D eight rated. Right. CM hoist that's a hundred feet a minute. Yeah. Um, eighteen inches a second for those at home without the calculator. Right. Um and uh and so that came out, you know, there was a lot of interest in that. A lot of interest about, you know, how do we control it? What can we do? How can we use it? Right. <laughs> like well, yeah. you can use it like any other hoist and you can tell it where to go and it'll go there. Right. And you can have uh, your your chain hoist plus your spotline practicals plus your turntables all in the same system, which is nice. Yeah, it's so it's very cool, very interesting. You know, yeah. Um there was there was quite a bit of interest on in that. Um yeah. 
couple people. <laughs> One person telling me that they were uninterested in prescribing to the two break theory of the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I'm like, well, that's like, well, great. Unfortunately, the world is not waiting for you to yeah, describe yeah, that theory. Yeah. Lots of other people think that it's important. <laughs> yes. Um, yep. So, you know, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, so we had that out there and then, you know, and then the floor pocket, of course, was back. Um, although it had been out to LDI already. Um, yeah, but it was cool. Cause there's still a lot of people that hadn't seen it. A lot of people stopping by the booth and checking it out this year for the first time. So, and we've done a couple of things since last year too. We, <clears throat> we have, a. Uh, the biggest thing I think that we've done is we've got, now we have a load chart, a load table um, to change the size of the lifting platform. Yeah. So it's like a D rating chart for however far you want to cantilever off the three foot by three foot base. Yeah. And, yeah. And you can go, which is very helpful. Yeah. And that was generated uh, with McLaren. Right. Engineering to, to come up with that D rating chart. Um, so for folks that want to, because I think many people, if not most or everyone, will end up putting a slightly larger platform on the three foot by three foot uh, lifting table. Yeah, and it's good to know how far can you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what does it mean when I do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I can yeah. go pretty far. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oof, what else from LDI? I think my feet are still sore. Yeah, we had good lighting this year. That was nice. We had the we did the Miro we had, we had much better lighting. Yeah, <laughs> we had light. I mean, that was <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like let me get my let me get my flashlight out for you. Hold on one. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we had the nice folks at TMB blasting us with strobe lights <laughs> all the time. So that was also that was good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but I think it was a good show all in all. You know. It was a great show. Yeah, we we met a lot of people, you know, a lot of familiar faces, but then we met a lot of new people too that had not yet heard of us. So, yeah. um, and which, from my perspective, always makes it always makes the show worth it if we're reaching new audience. New so. audience, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, <clears throat> we all got to ride the monorail. So that's right, the Las Vegas monorail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah. See, next up here on the support, uh, on the support line, there's oh, been yeah. more turntable uh, queuing Oof, questions. More right? turntable questions. Yeah, yeah. So a couple months ago, I made a I made a little worksheet that I did a a tech tip on uh, that's on our YouTube page, and it's really about um, you know it's <laughs> it's relative moves in an absolute world and how to. Uh, you know how to how to calculate those moves, <laughs> the from you know from the rel, from the absolute zero position to our relative moves of you know what the artistic folk ask for, right? If you're sitting in a show, you're sitting in tech, and and the right. designer or director says, ah, you know, we need this move 45 degrees clockwise, and you know wherever your turntable is, you're going to do that math to figure out where it's going, clockwise or counterclockwise. So is it going forwards or backwards? Um, you know, what's the target? Um, what's the actual target from where you were? Right. And, um, you know, that math, like the first time through is pretty easy. But then when you start getting into changes, especially if you're into a heavy preview process and doing big changes there, 
<clears throat> you can run into some real serious trouble real quick about um, you know changing target positions and then having them affect every other position. Um, right, because it cascades. Down that, the, yeah, it cascades down the line. Yep. Um, and then you know the cursed like everything's going clockwise this way and and now we want to make this one go counterclockwise, but everything else needs to keep going. <laughs> the same way which is actually the yesterday's phone call or right. two days ago phone call um and so uh so i made a little turntable worksheet to uh to you know to kind of ease this and help this you know whether it's a turntable or a donut so you can make big changes and you can see how they how they cascade down and you can track them through and um you'll still have to you know it doesn't connect to spike mark but it does give you the chance to then make all those changes all the way through yeah um and i will uh I think we have, as I said, it's in a tech tip on our YouTube page, but I'm going to get it up on our blog. Uh, yeah. Really next week. So it's up there. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a handy, uh, handy tool to have on the side. And, you know, for anyone screaming at their, uh, at their, uh, at their podcast player right now, we totally get that the, <laughs> <laughs> that ideally what you'd be able to do in spike mark is just to be able to tell that you want to move a relative <laughs> position, like not in absolute position. Um, and that is definitely on the horizon. We've got some bigger fish to fry at the moment, but that's uh, it. We have a, we have that feature partially implemented in an old, 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 old code branch from uh, 2014 or 2013. Um, and it just never got fully fleshed out. Um, there is, and we may have talked about this before, but the, there is like at the card level, like at the motion controller level, there is actually a, a relative move uh, command. Um, but that's not really what we want to do because we we want to have relative moves that we want to have the operator be able to program in relative moves, but have the system still track in absolute position. Because we don't want to ever have uh, uh, compounding errors. We don't want to like say, try to move 36 inches and it moves like, 36 and three quarters or 35 and three quarters of an inch, you know, and then the next move you say, all right, now move another 12 inches and it moves 11 and three quarters. Uh, yeah. 11 and three quarters. Now you're a half inch off, right? Cause you've lost a quarter of an inch on each move. Um, and then by the end of the show, you know, your inches off or your degrees off of your, uh, in the case of a turntable. Right. And one thing you and I were discussing before we started recording was, you know, whether, how to lay this out, you know, I mean, I'm a proponent of the idea that this shouldn't, that absolute and relative moves actually should be at the movement level, like movement by movement. You should be able to describe whether you want that as an absolute move or, or a relative move um, rather than making it an axis wide change. Like, so you say like in a turntable, you probably only ever really want it to move in relative moves. And I, I get that. But I think there are times with uh, linear moves even where you might want a relative position move. And the example I think of is like you have, bi like say, you have biparting, a biparting travel track, and they come together on center, and that's their zero mark. And then you want to like shift the whole, both pieces four feet stage left, and then open up the gap eight feet, and then shove it closed by coming back, eight, by bringing the other unit back eight feet. So... Like, yeah, you could do that math. You could say zero and then minus 48 for one and plus 48 for another. Um, and then and then go to minus 48 on the next one and then plus 48 on the next one. And that would give you what you're looking for. 
but when you're trying to translate on the fly as an operator and you're hearing these you know desires come in from the designer like i want it to move you know four feet to the left like what would be really nice is just to be able to punch a button that says four feet, move it four feet to the left. <laughs> like do the math for me. Like, I don't want to have to think about it, you know, cause the computers are really good at doing math. Um, <clears throat> and then for other points in the show, you want to, you know, you might want to mostly do it in absolute positions, but have a few cues in relative positions. And I think that you should be able to mix and match mm-hmm. uh, for whatever, you know, whatever your heart desires as long as it's very clear about what you're doing, as long as it's obvious that like this thing is, this is going to be a relative move. This is going to be an right. absolute move. Right. You don't want to be, you know, at like at 10 20 on the turntable and be like, go to 48. Ah, Oh God. Right. 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 <laughs> spin around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that the, um, but I th- so my view of the world is just that I think, I think you should in the access properties, be able to say, what is my default positioning method? So that every new movement defaults to this is a relative move or this is an absolute move, and we build that into like turntables. So we say like if you're using a revolver, um, then it's going to default to relative positions. Relative. And if you're using a push stick, it's going to default to absolute positions. But then there should be a way to override that movement by movement. Yeah, yeah, I could see the value. I didn't. I didn't at the beginning. <laughs> we were pretty far away. Uh, before we were talking about this. <laughs> before we started recording but you know but it does it does actually make some good it of course as always gareth you have good points to be made and (laughs) um you know it does it does actually make solidly good sense when thinking about that path and that idea you know how do we you know how do we close these here but then slide them over you know i mean that's like you know an iris an iris portal is a really great example of what that would be right? right you're right yep um so anyway i think that you know yeah it would be wonderful <laughs> we should get somebody right. on that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a guy for that right <laughs> <laughs> we do and actually the you know the uh, so our, our newest uh hire is a, a guy who's working primarily on software day by day by day by day uh which is great and uh there's a we won't get into the details but there's a pretty large spike mark release that's that's brewing right now that has a, a lot of functionality that's been, that has been partially implemented for too long. Um, <clears throat> and he's come in and he's finished up the implementation and improved it quite a bit as well. So there's, there's a pretty big pile of features coming. Yeah. Um, so that'll, that'll be happening. Hopefully I don't, it's going to be awesome. I don't think it's going to come out uh, in November, but probably awesome. December should be, should be ready for release. <laughs> so, and then, uh, yeah. and then honestly, we'll see. I mean, if a you know, truth be told, probably aren't going to move right onto relative positioning at that point. Yeah, you know, there's there's actually still yet more interesting things to be done. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Gareth. We just talked about it on the podcast. It's got to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's on there. It's on the list. We hear it. We hear that. And I would like it too. Every time I have to program a turntable, I'm like, God, this sucks. Yeah, but now you have a now you have a nice spreadsheet you can work on. Yeah. Now I have the spreadsheet. Yeah. I do like the spreadsheet. Yeah. Um Well, hey, on the uh also on the support front, we a couple like a month ago, month and a half ago, I don't know, maybe it was two months ago now, um, we kind of reevaluated what we were doing about keeping our our support interactions, you know, logged so that we could all kind of see what was going on, see who we talked to, see what kind of troubles we were investigating. Um, 
and we use this cool to-do list called Workflowy. Yep. Um, and we implemented a little Workflowy support log. Um, so there's, you know, because there's a couple of us who answer the phone, depending on, you know, depending on the day, depending on what's going on, depending if I have my do not disturb <laughs> button checked or not. Um, and um, right. And it's been, I think it's been pretty successful so far. Um, you know, I'm like, it's been helpful to be able to see what we're doing. You know, certainly like I was out of the office at LTI and not answering calls, but then able to see what Steve was answering, uh, which was certainly helpful. Uh, you know, who we talked to, what was going on, get some history instead of having to, right. Instead of having to like dig into something deeper or, you know, get on the phone with somebody else or, you know, start asking the same questions of the, of the user who's, you know, having some trouble <clears throat> uh, trying to make that a little cleaner. Right. And, you know, we'll see what our next steps are on that front. But right now it's pretty cool. And if you guys, anybody out there who doesn't know what Workflowy is, it's a really cool little to-do list. Um, and, you know, light, really lightweight. And, uh, and I have come around to, I've come around to liking it. <laughs> <laughs> it's only taken 18 months. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I think it has its place for sure. Um, and it's, you know, really straightforward to use. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And it's kind of an, it's an outlining to-do list is a, one of the other nice features of it. Like it does, uh, yeah. it's all about outlining. So. Um, cool. And then, and then on the, we're also trying out just this week, we're trying a new CRM uh, that will have some support ticket in integration too, that we we're going to try out for support. Cause as, as you were saying, like as we get more and more uh, people on the support team, like it just keeping everybody up to speed and abreast, like when you answer the phone and find out who you're talking to, like look at the history and see what have they been struggling with? So that if you know that they're, this is their fourth call about this issue. That's a different, uh, <laughs> that's a different vibe right. than <laughs> than if it's the first contact. So yeah. So and then we're getting close on time here, but the it's probably worth digging into our last topic, which has got nothing to do with automation, really. Um, <laughs> which we were going to talk about, like electronic sketching, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I maybe six months ago or something uh, broke down and bought an, an iPad pro with the pencil, the Apple pencil thing um, as a, uh, as a tool for note taking and um, sketching. Cause we sketch a lot. Like <laughs> we have a lot. I mean, what we, I used to do a lot of was like literally draw on graph paper and then take a webcam picture and post it to base camp. Those are my favorite. (laughs) Uh Yeah. I did my best to respond. (laughs) (laughs) But what's really, I like the, so the iPad pro has been pretty sweet for me. Like in particular, it's like the iPad pro plus this app called notability. Um, I use the heck out of notability, which is just like an electronic notebook. You can add, you have dividers and subjects and, um, it's not unlike OneNote, um, but it has better drawing features than OneNote, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, a couple of my favorite things are one that it does. It has graph paper background, so you if you press if you draw a line out and you keep your pencil down for you know a beat, it snaps. It starts snapping to the grid lines. So like if you start at a point, 
drag out and then just wait a beat. It'll snap your starting point to the nearest grid intersection, and then your ending point that you're now manipulating with the pencil will also now snap to the to the grid. Um, the other thing I really like about it is that it um, the highlighters, like it has highlighters for just you know highlighting, but the <laughs> highlighters work kind of like watercolor. So like every time you lay down a new highlighter stroke on top of an old highlighter stroke, it darkens it. So it's really easy to do quick shading, which I think helps a lot when you're trying to draw quickly and like pop something off the page and show what's round and what's flat. And um, it just give it, you know, I don't know, whatever, just a little more visual interest, you know? Yeah, it's cool. So, um, and then every note is I have it set up to back up directly to Google Drive, which we use for all of our doc, you know, for all of our file management um, as a PDF. So every time you exit out of a note, it it um, turns it into a PDF and shoots it up to Google Drive. And so if I want to share a sketch, I just go to Google Drive and email that Find sketch over. One, yeah, 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 yeah. I have. I, it's taken me a while. I have a, a. I do not have an iPad Pro, but I have a Surface, yep. and I really dig my Surface. And I've started, I've started now using some of the built-in Windows tools. Um, the Screen Sketch is like, yeah, is one of my favorites. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, it's pretty sweet. You know, it has do, a ruler, right? Like, yeah, there's a ruler and a protractor, and you know, you can. Yeah, you can do some cool stuff. You can't yeah. snap like like the holding your pen, you know, point down and snap lines out. But right. Um, but for some really rudimentary, you know, crayon style um, sketching, you know, it's so much better than a multicolor sharpie sketch on a napkin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and from like right from there, I can save it as a PDF. Right. So, you know, I can't, I can't dump it directly to Google, which is, you know, to yep. Google drive, which is a little bit of a bummer and there's an extra step in there, but yeah. Um, but you know, a couple of weeks ago I was, somebody had called about how to connect an interlock box and the mini and like what all the things did. And so I was sitting on the subway coming home and I drew this, you know, totally terrible crayon sketch on my, <laughs> on my service and emailed it because, you know, I tethered my phone to it and boom, yeah. sent it. And, uh, I think I got back some, you know, real snide response, but like, fantastic. <laughs> like, well, if it didn't help you, then, you know, delete it. <laughs> um, right. Uh, but I find it generally speaking, very helpful though. Like, especially when you're, you get so many customers who are, you know, they're just looking for a quick, quick answer, a quick price and concept. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, yeah, or a tech support thing or whatever, but especially in my world, you know, and you too, like yeah. you get a lot of these like, hey, we got this thing that's like not quite stock, not quite custom. How much would it cost? <laughs> Roughly, how do we do it? And you're like, well, I'm not going to like draw an entire cat thing for this. Like I'm not, you know, that's, that's going to take too long. And it's more than we need to, honestly, the more than we need to do to price it. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of obscures the concept sometimes when you have too much detail in the drawing, you know, yep. like it's more effective to be like round wheel equals winch, you know, and <laughs> here's a pulley and here's a, you know, yeah, like, I just, did some, gonna, yeah, I just did something like that too for with, you know, working with Pete on trying to price out a, an automated line set. Right. Like, here's the idea. <laughs> Yeah, here's the idea. And so you can very quickly see what the concept yeah. is. And then it doesn't feel precious to anyone. And it's about the right level of like... Precious to me. We think it's... Well, yeah, of course. But 
Uh, but then it's like the right level of detail for like, this is kind of what the number is too. Yeah. You know, like this is, we're roughly like this and we are roughly going to do that. And if we want to, if they were in the right ballpark, then we'll start developing these, these things further. Um, and then like in the shop for like quickie one-off things, it's awesome. Like I, uh, I just, I mean, the same thing that you would do on the surface, right? Like you can make a sketch you know, put some key dimensions on it and then hit print and it prints to the yep. printer and you hand it off to a guy and be like, here's my, you know, here's the idea. I call it Gareth. <laughs> yeah. Like, the idea. Yeah. 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 Because like, <laughs> uh, I'm not, again, like I'm just not going to, I'm not going to draw, draw this for you right yeah. now. Like I need, I'm, I'm going to give this the eight minutes it deserves <laughs> and then you're going to go make it. You're going to go build you it. Know? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you all the rest of it. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Use your tape measure <laughs> in your your brain to figure out the dimensions that aren't here. <laughs> and yeah. I had started out. I also a couple months ago, before I really kind of dove back into the into the surface world, I picked up this this product called Rocketbook. Oh yeah, and it's it's just like an app, and you know, it's not like an app. It is an app, and it you can you know notebooks and notepads and one of the notebooks i have you can apparently like stick in the microwave and the ink erases <laughs> <laughs> i'm That's i'm waiting james bond stuff right That's there james bond business going on right there yeah um <clears throat> it also says you know don't leave it in a hot car or you'll lose all your notes um <laughs> it's, uh, it uses some special pens like uh it's the frickson pilot frickson and you know they just use they heat racism it's crazy it also says like very blatantly on the package do not use on legal documents <laughs> right <laughs> um but that's been that's pretty cool too for you know that intermediate step of like having the you know having a notepad um and i really got that like i started that path because i needed a notepad on my desk for things that i just you know like phone calls i'm answering who i talk to like that thing i do every day you know and yeah. uh and then not losing that when it's done, you know, so it's not lost in some moleskin book or, right. you know, some like right. <laughs> post-it pad. And the Rocketbook thing, you can, there's an app for, you know, iPhone and uh, and Android, and you take a picture of your, your notepad in it, and you can put little check boxes down at the bottom, uh, and it will automatically send it to those places. So, like, that stuff can all get sent depending on what it is, you know, I can select where it goes so it can email me a PDF of it. It can save it to Google drive. It can save it to Dropbox box, all sorts of other stuff. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's cool. That seems pretty cool. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually pretty neat. Um, it's pretty neat. Not as cool as, you know, sketching on the surface though. <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, yep. Better pen on paper feeling. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And for years I used the surface as well. And I, I really like that myself the where it got where i had them ended up moving away from the surface was the um when i was hardcore writing the book and i was i would go to coffee shops was where i wrote most of the book um and not and a lot of times i ended up with a laptop on my lap and as much as i love the surface the one thing that's not really great at is operating on your, on lap. your lap so yeah yeah um <laughs> But what mm. I have now is a, a Surface laptop that they came out with not too long ago. Um, and I like that quite a bit. I mean, because Microsoft makes really nice hardware. Yeah. Um, it's very it's very solidly built and 
and well thought out and all those things. So mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. Um, and I get it too can use the pen, although I can't imagine on the laptop ever doing it like the, yeah, it seems like the surface was cool. Yeah. Cause you could, <laughs> the surface, you could turn it into a tablet, rip the keyboard off and all that. Yeah. And you have that nice little kickstand, which I really loved on the surface, but the, yes. uh, can't imagine doing that on a traditional laptop screen. Nah, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. um, yeah. And, you know, so since we're on the, you know, technology side, Gareth, you took a jump off the, you took a jump off the Android yeah. ledge. You know, now you are, you are the minority at the shop. I did. You are. That's back. right. Yep. I'm, oh. I'm back to an iPhone, <laughs> which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, you know, the, I think I mentioned this maybe before, but we moved houses this summer and the new house gets almost no cell reception practically zero um and in fact with my nexus 5x that i had uh it got actually zero <laughs> like that practically zero like could not get a phone call in that house um and i'm not i'm on at and i'm not on project Fi, uh and so the wi-fi i have no i had no great option for wi-fi calling um which was my next technical hurdle. I was like, well, I guess, you know, Wi-Fi calling would work here uh, without like trying to install a, you know, an antenna at the house and stuff to boost the signal, which sounds like <laughs> crazy pants to me. Um, sounds like, sounds yeah. terrible. <laughs> I, I did that like way, way, way back when, like the uh, old, old house that we had, because I was working in a basement of our house most of the time. So like I put an antenna on the chimney and ran a wire down to the basement um, <clears throat> to, to repeat the signal, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, so uh, the iPhone is great because the Wi-Fi calling works fabulously out of the box on it. Um, the only thing that stinks is that it runs iOS, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, so <laughs> which, uh, which is funny yeah. to say because I actually love my iPad, like love it to death. I, I really enjoy using it, especially with like the new multitasking features and stuff in it. It's great. I prefer it whenever I can use it, honestly, even over my laptop. But I do not like iOS on the phone. I, <laughs> I am, it is okay. Uh, it's passable. But coming off of Android, Android is... I, I miss like the Google Now screen. I mean, I can kind of replicate that with the Google app. I miss having uh, widgets on my home screen. Mm-hmm. Um, putting your icons wherever you want them yeah like wherever you want them not just like <laughs> nope always has to go left In to right order. top to yeah. bottom yeah like you can rearrange the order but yeah you can't just place that randomly nearest your thumb which i think is weird like they <laughs> it places them by default the farthest away to reach which is bizarre <laughs> well well you know yeah uh, um uh, yeah you know the I used to have an iPhone. Yep. And it w- it actually served me really well. Yep. I can't, you know, I can't deny that whatsoever. Um but uh but you know, I took a dive away from the iPhone last fall. Yep. Um and uh and I love my Android phone. Yeah. It's awesome. It was, you know, fast money and 
unlocked and mm -hmm. all of the things that I wanted it to be. Uh, and the best feature for me is that I can no longer get the stupid exploding eggplants from <laughs> one of our one of our one of our customers and and folks who have worked for us on gigs kept sending me these stupid exploding eggplants that made my screen, you know, turn purple. Right. Uh, and then one day after I got rid of my iPhone, all I got was some ASCII text from him. Like, <laughs> WTF is this? He's like, it's the eggplant. Oh, uh, not anymore. It's not hey, so this was, this was a feature. So, you know, Dana, <laughs> if you're out there listening, I will gladly give you Garrus. <laughs> you can send them to him now. <laughs> the other thing that I, I'm not doing myself any favors with the iPhone that I got too, because I got the uh, the iPhone SE, which is like their tiny one, um, which I mostly got, I got. Well, I mean, partially got for the size, and partially got just because I did not want to spend a thousand dollars on a phone, mm -hmm. um, especially coming <laughs> off the Nexus, which was a great phone for not much money. I was like, I'm just not, I'm not gonna buy a Fabergé egg to carry around with me. I'm gonna get the cheapest one they have which is still very like it's fast and everything else but the um the interface is definitely assuming a bigger screen size now so like the touch targets have gotten a little hard to use and like the, they do a lot of swipey gesture stuff which i'm not totally down with and the swipey gesture stuff definitely does not work so hot on the smaller screen um, uh, my toddler can she can swipey gesture my partner's phone into places that are unknown. We're like, how did you get right. there? What happened? How did, what, are, what are we doing? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and I, you know, anyway, yeah, so I, I'm okay. I'm, it's okay. And it's, I think it's mostly, I, I will say like iMessage is still great. Yeah. I, I do like that. <clears throat> um, <Yeah. clears throat> and I certainly like the Wi-Fi calling. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the apps are fine. I mean, the apps are good. Um, so, you know, it works well. It's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not, uh, I did enjoy the freedom of Android. Yeah. And, uh, well, and also I like, welcome, I kind of like that material design community. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let me show you to your room in your walled garden. But the, <clears throat> I think the, the Google's material design is a more interesting visual aesthetic these days than, than uh bloopy rounded <laughs> corner world. <which> where <laughs> Apple, ended up but anyway there you go cool well we we did it we did it just like every just week. like just yep. like every i'm gonna say month every month Gareth. let's not get too old <laughs> <laughs> there you sure all right <laughs> so, yep here's a here's another one of our monthly podcasts <laughs> monthly podcast yes yep we've done yeah is we've only been doing this for 20 months that's <clears throat> right exactly <clears throat> all right man awesome Hey, thanks. Thanks. Have a good one.